You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Smashed from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. And I'm Aaron Albano. Aaron Albano, welcome! Thanks for having me, Mo. Aaron is joining me as co-host of this new mini-series where we are going to re-watch and dissect what is still the Broadway community's favorite TV show, Smash. Yes, we're talking about the NBC series that aired from 2012 to 2013, and the show gave a behind-the-scenes look at the creation of an imaginary Broadway musical called Bombshell, from the auditions to the workshop to its journey to the Tony Awards. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, Mo. That's true. Smash was also an incredible glimpse into the theater community in the early 2010s. Yeah, 2010s. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. As many of the show's writers, actors, and dancers were played by real Broadway performers with real Broadway cred. It was the one show on TV that centered around our industry. In fact, both Mo and I were on the show at various points. Yes. Well, I was in a dream sequence. Mo was in the original cast of Hit List. Ugh, don't be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it begs a couple of important questions. Why a Smash recap and why now? Yeah. Actually, I feel like it's more like three questions. Why? Why us? And why now? Go for it. As we already said, Smash first aired in what? 2012? Correct. That was seven years ago, and many of the people I work with now, and that you can find in today's Broadway landscape, grew up watching Smash. We're essentially a generation away from the Smash generation. That makes me feel so old. I know. It's horrible. (laughs) Mo and I were both on the show back in the day, but we were both in very different places in our lives. And probably one of the most fascinating things to me is that our city and industry just went through a very similar energy surrounding Fosse Verdon as it did with Smash. Oh, right. Yeah, everybody was either on it or auditioning for it, or opinionatedly talking about it. That is true. Yeah, and I remember the same thing happening with Smash. One of the biggest reasons I wanted to look back on this show, now that we've had, what, seven years of separation from it, is to see if Smash really holds up. To see how the show authentically represents or sensationalizes our business. To see what, if anything, holds true to our 2019 Broadway world, or is it more of a time capsule of the business in 2012? And if anything else sticks out, that may have or may not have worked. Awesome. I'm excited to do this. Let's dive in and talk about season one, episode one, which has the incredible name of The Pilot. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Aaron, give us the stats. Okay. The first episode of Smash was aptly named Pilot. The episode premiered on February 6th, 2012. It was written by the show's creator, Teresa Rebeck, and directed by Michael Mayer. The pilot premiered to an audience of 11.44 million people. This episode featured seven songs, three of which were original songs written by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman. Never Give All the Hearts, The National Pastime, The Baseball Number, and the show's anthem, Let Me Be Your Star. Oh, who could forget it? <laughs> and what happens in this episode? All right. We fade in on a girl with a hunger for fame Ew. and a face and a name I'm to so remember. <laughs> that face is Catherine McPhee, and that name is Karen Cartwright. She's singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow in an audition. A team of writers, Tom Levitt and Julia Houston, are tipped off to a subject for a new musical by their assistant, Ellis. Ellis says, I think Marilyn Monroe would make a good musical. Julia is intrigued by Marilyn as a subject, saying, there's just something about her, how much she loved and wanted to be loved. So the team gets to work on a demo. Ivy is currently an ensemblist in Tom Levitt's Broadway production called Heaven on Earth, but she confides to him that, you know, I love the show, I love you, but the ensemble not so much. She says she just wants a part. After three commercial breaks, <laughs> we finally meet Angelica Houston as Eileen Rand, who wants the project and wants to connect him with a hot-tempered director named Derek Wills. They all agree to set aside their differences, in part due to a spectacularly staged number on spec called The National Pastime. Karen turns a remarkable audition for Marilyn, singing Smash's first pop cover, Beautiful, by Christina Aguilera. Derek is intrigued enough to invite Karen over to his apartment under the pretense of a private coaching session, but she keeps Derek at arm's length, and the episode ends with both Karen and Ivy vying to Let Me Be Your Star. Let me be your star. <laughs> All right. What did you think of the episode? I remember loving the pilot, and I feel like a lot of New York did. Right. I mean, it, the buzz around Smash was so high, mm -hmm. it really gave us what we wanted. Right. I think it's of... definitely set the stage for what we ended up seeing for the next two seasons. Yeah. Like, for whatever came afterwards, I think people saw that and they were excited about what was to come. Absolutely. Because I think it was the most sort of authentic presentation of what our business was. My first impression was how 2012 this felt. There were <laughs> so many Troy Bolton hair swoops. Oh, for Every, sure. Oh, like, absolutely. I, like, I didn't realize that it was a period piece, but everyone oh. looked like... You I can buy see, that. You wouldn't yeah. see people dressing like that. Well, my my favorite thing about, especially like the time, quote unquote, time period of New York City. Like, did you notice how Eileen Rand's office, the exterior shot of her office? Oh, it's the Brill Building. You know, the history of that building, the Brill Building, is that's where songwriters were working out of in the 50s and 60s. Oh, I never put that yeah. together. Oh, so that was a place that was like very of the arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it does have lore within our community. Yeah. Now it's a WeWork space. So <laughs> that to, to me, the Brill Building and Eileen's office was like the first RIP that I oh, saw. Sure. Of, and I kept sort of clocking as we were going like, well, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Also, I cannot pass the subway entrance at 43rd and Broadway. Uh-huh. 
without thinking of Smash. Why, wait, why? Why so? Because she comes. Because Karen comes out of it. Because she comes me, out on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. That's like let me be your star. And maybe yeah. they were like showing commercials and stuff. But that definitely no, absolutely, to me, yeah, yeah, like will forever and always be the Smash entrance. Oh, speaking of Karen, let's get into it because she starts singing over the rainbow. Right. And I remember wa- when watching it again. The differences between Karen and Ivy are wildly more broad than I remember them being. Sure. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. From the get, Karen's audition and experience of our, her audition versus Ivy coming in right after and seeing her the way she approached the room. Right. And and then when they both don't get that show, whatever that show was, mm-hmm. seeing how they both react to it. You said you had Karen who was like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> I guess I didn't get it. It didn't go well. She took a call on my phone. She took a call during my audition. I didn't get it. Whatever. Ivy rips up her wig <laughs> in her Broadway show. <laughs> and I literally was like, oh, just in this portrayal alone, you get a very distinct idea of who these two people are. Sure. Who takes a taxi to an audition in a fur coat? Oh, right? Yeah, like, n- no one would do that except for maybe someone who was, like, always on yeah. and always a little bit extra. Well, I mean, and especially her conversation with her mother at the end of the episode where she's like, they want me to play Marilyn when she didn't have the job yet. Right. Like, just automatically jumping to that. I wrote down, Ivy, a cautionary tale of investing in a project that isn't yours yet. <laughs> and I was like, that's Ivy. Right. And that was sort of the setup that they wanted her to have to contrast her to Karen, mm-hmm. who I think in watching again, Karen is absolutely the every woman for the people who aren't in our business. Right. And she was the one that, for lack of a term, lay women, laymen and lay women were supposed to latch onto mm-hmm. as who they related to. Yeah, sure. And Ivy was much more dramatic. Mm-hmm. And yet watching it the first time, I was like, well, of course you're going to give it to Ivy. Ivy's the professional. Ivy I- knows what she's doing. Right. Right. And versus watching it now, I'm like, Ivy's a bit of a drama. She ripped up her wig. Right. She ripped her wig in the middle of her show. She like, because she got a call after an initial audition and didn't get the job and ripped up her Broadway wig. I I mean, that that's literally what stuck with me being like, oh, this is this person. <laughs> so let's talk about Easter eggs. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, well, let's talk about that baseball number. Oh, yeah. That baseball number, which included Thane Jasperson was in there. I saw Alex Wong, Ricky Tripp, Manny Santos, Chris Mai. It was a million people. Oh, yeah. Uh, Justin Prescott, Curtis Holbrook, Spencer Liff. Yeah. Right? I think that was also one of the things that excited us as the community was like, oh, that is a really great musical theater number. Oh, for sure. I want to bring up a section that I'm going to call Albano Fact Check. Okay, go. (laughs) So... Let's say that someone came to you, Aaron, and said, we're putting together a number for spec for a possible future Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. First off, how much time would that take? A whole number? To do a number like the National A number like the National Pastime. Yes. Two, three days, if it's an eight-hour day, to put it all together. How much would you get paid for that? In a purely like pre-production, yeah, like hey, place. will you come in? Like, there's no, there's no money. There's no, there's no show. Oh, zero. Maybe like a check from the choreographer, like under the table. Yeah, no. That Wait, would that be... happens. People get checks under the table. I mean, like if like 
as like a, like a thank you, as, as sort of like a thanks for doing this. Maybe like a Starbucks gift card, like if there, <laughs> if it was like a full full out like crazy thing. And if that person has some good money, like maybe like. <laughs> and do dancers of that caliber do things like that? Would you have gotten all those dancers to do something on spec for a musical, for Hamilton? Let's say. Well, because here's what's interesting too. Is it the audition for the director choreographer? It probably was. Then I don't know, to be honest, because anytime I've done stuff like that, they've already had the job and they just need to pre-pro a number or that they could present to like the money people, which I guess would be kind of an audition. But what would shock me is if this was the audition for the director choreographer and he was forced to use this girl that the composers wanted him to use. Oh, sure. They would like, have used, they like, would have used a dancer. Yeah, or their, like someone that they know. Right. Not this stranger that well, they were going to put their entire... She was in a Broadway show. She was in Heaven on Earth. She was in Heaven on Earth. At the Schubert Theater. But apparently she'd never worked with Derek Wills before. Well, she did do a year in Wicked. I, I, I want to ask you about Heaven on Earth. Heaven on Earth is the sort of already hit musical. It's mm-hmm. already running on Broadway. It's a musical that is written by... One half of the creative team that we end up meeting, Tom and Julia. Tom and Julia, yeah. Right. What do you think that about- That has a West End production yep, that he sure. just finished. How do you feel about Tom Levitt and Christian Borle's relationship with Ivy? It seems- We might be getting too in, into future episodes, but- It seems unlikely to me. Okay. How like, so? I don't know any Broadway compose- mm, Maybe sort of Lin-Manuel would be- uh, something like that. A young person mm-hmm. who's written some Broadway shows and has relationships with people. Yeah. People like you think about Seth Stewart. Well, Seth Stewart was a person who was in In the Heights and then became part of the Hamilton family early yes. on. John Rua, the same thing. Mm-hmm. What I think is rather unlikely is the idea that this composer is coming backstage and hanging out with ensemble sure. members all of the time. It's like... And being super concerned when she... Re- she rips up her wig and he's like, what's wrong? <laughs> it's like, you just ripped up a wig. How much would that wig cost? Do you know how much? So that- much. Right. Like, this is easily, episode. like, guaranteed, like, a five-digit wig. Mm-hmm. Like, that wi- like Broadway wigs are not cheap. And she just, like, ripped it up. When Savannah Wise says, you're going to be fined for that. I'm like, or fired <laughs> because you just ripped up a Broadway wig. I love that you put Broadway wig like on this caliber of like Broadway wig. I mean, it's not a Party City wig. No, that's it's true. Like, that's true. That is lace. All right. So the last thing I want to ask you is like how this episode has weathered. Are there things about the episode that feel very distinctively 2012 or things that you're like, that could happen today on No, Broadway? I think it could all happen today. I, I, I feel like because, again, the strength of the pilot was that it was just authentic enough and even watching it now, it felt very, okay, I know that person. Okay, I know these, I know these relationships and how they have to balance the, balance the excitement of a new show versus like a real life thing like adopting a child. These stakes are very, feel very real because our passion for theater is so strong. Mm-hmm. Does that even make sense? That conversation with Karen's parents and Dev and Karen oh, at, at the, the restaurant. Dinner. Yeah, that's a real life conversation that get hap- that guaranteed has happened to the majority of us. Sure. Uh, and then in terms of the business, like maybe the speed at which Bombshell is getting off the ground is a little quick and a little not realistic. But the idea of momentum carrying a show almost even before it's ready, 
I think it easily happened now. Almost more so now. The one thing that might not, mm-hmm. and again, this is what's interesting also watching this show post Fosse Verdon mm. is the hashtag me too scene at the end. Oh, sure. Where Derek calls Karen to come over to his apartment yeah. for mm-hmm. for co- quote unquote coaching. That's something I remember at the when I watched it initially, I was like, oh, this is the one thing that could never happen. Um, now it's we, the thing that could get him fired. Yes. I think the pilot does a decent job of like letting us in the feeling contemporary, right? They're talking about Michael Riedel. They're talking about Spider-Man and people getting maimed. These yes. are things that we sort of knew about the theater mm-hmm. at, at the time. I think it did a, I think it did an excellent job. I think it's interesting that the show was setting up characters that we never really saw come to fruition, right? We never really see Brian Darcy James's arc. We never really see the sun. There's a moment where Julia says, I love you both. We're a fantastic family. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, well, it's not fine for two of you because two of you are getting written out of season two. Right. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Well, and it's also like, oh, forget about your family, but keep saying we're a fantastic family. Obviously, there's something wrong there. It's interesting that at the beginning, they really wanted us to know about Eileen and her husband, Jerry, or soon to be ex-husband, Jerry. And we're seeing them in a in a. And we were seeing them across the table with lawyers. We're really knowing Julia's husband. We're knowing Julia's son. We're going through this adoption process. And in the end, the show really became about Bombshell. Yes. All right. Well, special thanks to Aaron Albano for joining us for this mini-series. You can learn more about Aaron and how to connect with him online by visiting our website, theensemblist.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Smashed to discuss episode two, The Callback. Be sure to watch on NBC.com or on the NBC app to keep up to date with us. All right. And The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. Please help others find out about The Ensemblist by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also download episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at theensemblist.com. You're doing such a good job. (laughs) Um, And follow us on Instagram to see the latest posts from our website where we share the stories of talented artists working in Broadway ensembles. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. We did it. Yay. See you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.